From the Jeff Nyquist Studios on California's North Coast, you're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. Welcome to this edition of the Jeff Nyquist Program. I'm your host, Jeff Nyquist, and we discuss strategic and international issues on this program. And one of the countries that gets neglected is a very important country. It borders on the Middle East, it borders on Russia, and it borders on Europe. That country is Turkey. Turkey is Islamic, and Turkey is also part of NATO. Turkey is an ally of the United States, and yet part of the Islamic world. Turkey stands on the brink of becoming the first middle-class Muslim democracy in a large country, a a European-sized country. And Turkey is also a growing power in that region of the world. So today we're going to have as our guest Claire Belinsky, who is an international expert. She's been on the show before. She's traveled extensively in Europe, and she's written about the situation in Europe. Her book, Menace in Europe, very important, is going to be on the program today to discuss the situation in this most vital country, Turkey. So please stay with us through the break. I am Jeff Nyquist. We'll be back after these messages. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. Thanks for making WIBG 1020 a part of your life. We're Live Radio 1020 WIBG. Where more people every day hear the truth. From Hurley in the Morning to The Wondrous Story with Dave Bailey, Jay Sekulow live in the American Center for Law and Justice, and Josh Henning Afternoons. South Jersey's cutting edge Christian news talk and your station for women's oldies every weekend. WIBG 1020 and WIBG.com plugging you into life. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. With me is uh, Claire Belinsky. She was born and raised in the United States. She's lived and worked in Britain, France, and Switzerland, Thailand, Laos, and Turkey as a journalist, academic, and consultant. She's written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, National Review, the Weekly Standard and Policy Review, among other publications. Berlinski holds a degree in modern history and a doctorate in international relations from Oxford University and has studied French literature at the Sorbonne. She now divides her time between Paris and Istanbul. Welcome to the show, Claire. Well, the pleasure is all mine, and thanks for that nice introduction. Yes, well, in the United States, of course, we're heading for an election cycle, and and one of the controversies that's coming up has to do with uh, the Middle East and Iraq and the, the policy of the president there, and there's still some controversy. And, uh, and of course, you're living in Turkey, which is right next door. It's an Islamic country. Perhaps you could tell us what the feelings are in Turkey about what's going on in Iraq and the United States in general. You know, Turkey is an interesting case in a lot of ways. Public opinion polls say that approval ratings of the United States are lower than 9%. But the fact, living here, the fact is, what I have always found is that on an individual level, Turks are extremely warm toward Americans. Extremely warm. They'll always say, oh, America, I have a cousin there. Where are you from? Oh, what's that like? Is it more or less beautiful than Turkey? Very, very friendly. And then the words you hear are, what do you think of George Bush? And um, I have learned at this point that there is really no point in, in getting into a complicated political discussion about George Bush because the answer they want to hear is, oh, he's no good, he's really bad, he's not like the rest of Americans, and I'm just not going to get into a big political argument in a taxi ride every time I, you know, it's, it's, it's not worth it because I'm not going to, I'm not going, my Turkish isn't good enough to persuade anyone on the merits of the case. So what I think people need to understand is that what you're seeing in Turkey when you hear about anti-Americanism is it is not 
at a personal level, anti-Americanism. It is anti-George Bushism. Now, why is it anti-George Bushism? Because of the Iraq War. Why are the Turks so in a lather about the Iraq War? Because it's on their border. It's on their border, and they are worried about floods and refugees, first of all. But more importantly, and this is the big issue that Americans have to understand, the Turks have a long-going civil war going on with the, with, with the Kurdish elements in Turkey who want to establish an independent Kurdish state. And there have been 30,000 deaths. I mean, this, it, I'm not exaggerating when I say civil war. And it is a huge issue. So the establishment, the prospect of an establishment of any kind of Kurdistan, be it an independent Kurdistan or a Kurdistan as part of a federal state in Iraq that stirs nationalist sentiment among Turkey's Kurds is terrifying. It's terrifying to the Turks. This is what they've been afraid of from the beginning. This is why they weren't supportive of um, using Turkish Turkish military bases to, to go northward into Iraq, which was a big problem for us. It's why they're still holding the threat of removing the use of the insert base, um, because they are absolutely appalled by the idea of anything that stirs up Kurdish nationalist sentiment. And this is the main issue. This is why there's so much tension in the Turkish-American relationship right now. This is why you see these opinion polls that say the Turks hate Americans. And it's not, and this is something really important to understand, this is not an Islamist phenomenon. This is not the same kind of anti-Americanism that you see from Osama bin Laden. This is a completely different issue. Hmm, interesting. So it's like Turkish nationalism. Very much so. Very much so. So this uh, conflict, now we've heard about the problem with the Kurds, and we here in the United States, we occasionally get this, you know, the Turks are threatening to an incursion into into the Kurdish part of Iraq, and there's concern about the borders there. Uh, how much damage has been done to Turkey's uh, alliance status in NATO and with the United States in, in all this? How much damage has been done? There has been damage done. I don't think it's irreparable. Um, when you hear these reports about Turkish troops lining up on the Iraqi border, my sense is, and of course I don't have any insider information or any intelligence about this, but my sense is it's a bluff. What they're trying to say is they're playing, they're playing a game of, look, if you don't do something about this problem, um, we're going to go in and we're going to make your life, we're going to make your life a misery. I don't think they're really going to do it. Um, you never know. You never know. There are a lot of pressures on the government to show that they're tough on terrorism. I mean, that's, that's the issue here, just as it is in America. The issue is terrorism, because you've got PKK terrorism, which is very real. Yeah, the PKK. Um, it's the Kurdish, Kurdistan Workers' Party, and in Kurdish, it's the Partia Karkara in Kurdistan. Mm -hmm. There was just, an, just a PKK attack in the East just yesterday, reported in the news, 12 people killed. There have been bombs in Istanbul, in fact, a restaurant that I go to frequently last year was bombed by the PKK. So they are seeing this. The analogy that you have to understand to understand the Turkish mentality is they are looking at us going into Afghanistan because Afghanistan is harbor was harboring terrorists who attacked the United States. And they're saying this is unbelievable hypocrisy because there are terrorists attacking Turkey who are being supported by sympathizers in northern Iraq, that's how they see it, and you're telling us not to clean out this hornet's nest the way you would and the way you did if you were facing a similar terrorist threat. That's the way they see it. I don't want you to confuse the way they see it as being the way I see it. There's two different issues, mm -hmm. but that is the way they see it. Hmm. The United States is confronting terrorism in Iraq, 
and at the same time, in a way, it's generating a however slight or large amount of terrorism that gets ends up aimed at uh, America's ally Turkey. Well, let's not be unfair. It's not that we're generating terrorism aimed at Turkey. What they would like us to do, they want us to be much more aggressive in going into northern Iraq, the Kurdish areas in northern Iraq, and actively going into PKK training camps and cleaning them out. And American policymakers are obviously thinking, we've got one success story in Iraq, and that's the Kurdish part. That's the one place where they don't hate us. That's the one place where everyone loves us, and we seem to have brought comparative stability. We seem to have made people's lives better rather than worse. Um, You've got to be kidding. We're not going in there and starting you know, to, to blow things up and maybe kill civilians and end up with the entire country uh, a complete firestorm. So I don't think it's fair to say that we have made the problem worse for the Turks because they have, they have I mean, if there's any response, I want to be careful about what I say here, but Turkish policy toward its own Kurdish regions has not been one that's likely to pacify things either. It's been very, very brutal. And if you are an ethnic Kurd in Turkey, if you come from certain villages in, in the East, you're going to have a lot of stories about real brutality from the Turkish military. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't get reported at all because journalists can't even go there. So it's not like we caused this problem, but there is a large political strain of really strong Turkish nationalism that tends to be quite paranoid. And there are many people in the Turkish political elite who deep down believe that it is the policy priority of other great nations to break Turkey up. Mm. Um, and there are historical reasons for this belief, because that, that did in fact happen at the end of the, of the World Wars. There was, there was, there was, the, the modern Turkish state was founded... I, I don't want to give you a long, long history lesson here that might not be so interesting to people, but basically there are historical reasons why Turks have a long-standing historical memory of efforts to break up the Turkish state, the Ottoman Empire. That really happened. And so there's this persistent belief that other actors internationally are still trying to make the Turkish state weak. Mm -hmm. That's where a lot of these attitudes come from. And it's interesting for those Americans that don't know, before World War I, Turkey had a tremendous position in the Middle East and actually mm -hmm. controlled what is most of the countries in the Middle East. Well, modern Turkey is a different, is a different ent entity from the Ottoman Empire, but yes. the Ottoman Empire is one of the great empires of history. And almost all of the modern Middle East was under the control of the Ottoman Empire. Um, and um, many of the problems that we now see in the modern Middle East have to do with the way the Ottoman Empire was carved up by other powers, by Britain and by France, and um, taken into pieces, and a lot of very artificial lines were drawn. So, I mean, the, the, the problems that we're seeing in the Middle East have, have, this is a cliche, but they have very, very deep historical roots. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why they're so hard to solve. And the Turks are extremely sensitive uh. um, and extremely aware of, of this historical background. Uh, with me on the line is Claire Berlinski from Turkey, and uh, she's uh, reporting to us on conditions there. And uh, we'll be back. This is Jeff Nyquist. We'll be back with my program after these messages. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. 
plugging you into life. We are Live Radio 1020 WIBG. Whether it's Hurley in the morning, Henning in the afternoon, Dr. Jim Dobson in Focus on the Family. South Jersey's fastest growing Christian news talk. Now with more than a million listeners and hits at WIBG 1020. WIBG. 1020 WIBG. Or at WIBG.com. Plugging you into life. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. All right, we're back. I'm Jeff Nyquist, and with me on the line from Turkey is Claire Berlinski. She's the author of Medicine Europe, and she's telling us about uh, the situation in Turkey. We've been discussing the Kurdish problem and why Turkey has objected to our position in Iraq. So in Turkey, when they discuss what's going on in Iraq, what do they want the United States to do in Iraq? Do they want us to leave? Do they want us to guarantee some kind of state? Do they want us to control the border with the Kurds? What is it that they want? Well, there's, you know, when you talk about they, you're talking about 70 million people and, and people with very, very different opinions. So there's certainly there is a sense... You should never have gone in there. You should never have stirred up this hornet's nest. But now that you have, you had better damned well clean it up. Um, don't let the don't let the problems spill out into Turkey. Above all, um, don't in any way give any kind of sucker or encouragement to Kurdish nationalists. Don't even talk about this idea of an independent Kurdish state. That's you know if you, if, if 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 that happens, we're doomed. Um, that's what they want. They want they want Iraq held together. They want they want it pacified, no matter what it takes. Um, if you have to, you know, if you spoke to them, they would say, "Well, you broke it. Now you fix it." If you have to have a draft, you have a draft. That's what they would ask for. Um, they want they want stability, 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 stability. Um, if you, it depends who you speak to. You speak to people with really diverse spectrum of knowledge, political sophistication, um, understanding of what America really is and who Americans really are, you will find people who have, who believe the sort of nuttiest conspiracy theories. I mean, really, truly nutty. For example, I'll give you just the most extreme but not uncommon view. There's been a best-selling series of books here by someone named Poiraz, who's an ardent ultra-nationalist, who believes that the ruling government, the AKP, um, the AKP is, is, is the, the, they just, it is often described as an Islamist party. In fact, it's not really Islamist. That's not quite the right word for it, but it does have Islamic roots. They believe that this government, which is the most piously Muslim government that Turkey has had since the founding of the modern republic, is in fact being controlled by a cabal of, get this, Zionists. <laughs> Zionists. Okay, so you're thinking, wait, 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 wait. How did they get there? They get there because they're thinking, um, the fact that the AKP has good relations with the EU and with the United States, well, clearly that means that it's all a plot to cripple Turkey and break it up, and the invasion of Iraq is all part of this. And honest, honestly, I'm telling you, these books that are arguing this are everywhere. I see them in all the local bookstores, you know, um, and, and they're, they're crazy stuff. They're absolutely crazy. They're like protocols of the elders of Zion crazy. That's the kind of conspiracy theories that many, many people believe. But on the other hand, you also get people who are very sophisticated, who have traveled abroad, who, who have been educated abroad, who 
read foreign newspapers, speak foreign languages. Who knows that this is crazy stuff, absolutely crazy stuff, and wouldn't believe it for a second. So I wouldn't want to tell you that there's any one single opinion about, about the United States or what this all means. That would be misrepresenting it. It would be simplifying it too mm -hmm. much. Yeah, that can be, you know, that's interesting. We're seeing, again, and it's a modern phenomenon, I think it's a, a phenomenon of mass media, that this conspiracy stuff gets hatched in every country. We've got it here. You know, Timothy McVeigh uh, was uh, into that kind of thing here. We have versions of it here in the United States. And, of course, Nazism had its own version back in the 30s, 20s and 30s in, in Germany. Um, is this a growing thing? You said the books are everywhere. Is this growing in Turkey, and how popular is it becoming? Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's a really interesting thing. Yes, it is growing, and the question that you would naturally ask is why? Why now are you seeing this emergence of some unusually nutty ideas in Turkey? And I think one of the reasons is because Turkey is now modernizing very rapidly, especially under the AKP. The interesting thing about the AKP is that although it is a more Muslim-oriented government in that many of its, its key members are devout, pious Muslims, and some of them, their wives wear headscarves, which is an extremely controversial thing here in Turkey because Turkey is a secular country and it's extremely proud of being a secular country. Despite this, their economic programs, their political programs have been very liberal. I mean, the AKP has taken Turkey far closer to EU membership than any previous government. It has dramatically reformed the economy, and it has done, frankly, there's been a Turkish economic miracle. Um, over the past five years or four and a half years of AKP control of the government, the per capita GMP has doubled. Foreign direct investment has gone from being almost almost nothing to being about 20 billion. It's just skyrocketed. There's been this huge huge transformation in Turkish society. People have gotten very wealthy very quickly. They've been exposed to a lot of foreign influences much faster than they're used to. And whenever you have a big transformation in society, whenever you have a threat to entrenched elites, to entrenched nationalist elites, to entrenched bureaucratic elites, you tend to create a lot of anxiety. You tend to create a lot of people feeling insecure about their positions, insecure about their futures. And then when you have that kind of rapid transition, even if it's a positive transition, in a lot of cases, this, what I'm talking about is positive. People getting wealthier is a positive thing, but it makes people very insecure. And that is the breeding ground for a lot of paranoia and a lot of crazy thinking, to put it bluntly. Now, I, I do want to clarify that I don't want people to come away with the impression that there is nothing about the AKP to be concerned about. I still haven't made up my mind about the AKP. As far as I'm concerned, they're still on probation. They've done some really miraculous things with the economy, and so far from what I can tell, they have not in any way tried to impose an Islamist tyranny on Turkey or to dismantle Turkey's secular state or constitution. But there is no question that its leading political figures do come from a background of political Islam and did emerge from political parties that were very scary. They've become moderate. They've become, or they say they've become moderate, and the way they've acted in power has been very moderate. But they did emerge from the real sewers of political Islam. So the, the jury is still out. But the last, you know, I've been living here for the last several years, and People's worst fears about what they would do if they came to power absolutely have not come true. Absolutely haven't. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Um, now the uh, the leader there, um, Prime Minister Erdogan. Yes, he was jailed once for uh, writing some kind of uh, poem, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about this uh, poem and why he was jailed and 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 how it's viewed now. Okay. Well, point one is it's um, it's uh, pretty easy to get jailed for saying the wrong thing politically here. Um, the Nobel Prize winner Orhan Pamuk is now living in New York, and he's living in New York because. He was subject to arrest under Article 301, which is a very famous provision of the law which makes it illegal to insult the Turkish state. Why was he subject to arrest? Because he suggested that there might be a reason to think that the words Armenian genocide are not completely far-fetched. Um, so freedom of speech, it's, getting, it's actually getting better. Um, they're talking about getting rid of Article 301, but at the time when Erdogan was arrested, it wasn't that hard to get yourself arrested for saying the wrong thing. Now, he gave a speech. He recited a poem which had overtones of political Islam in it, in that he said something like, the mosques are bayonets, or yeah. something like that. If you didn't know what you were listening for, you wouldn't really know that this was meant to suggest that he had an Islamist agenda. You'd kind of think, well, what does that mean, the mosques are bayonets? And Frankly, it is ambiguous. The mosques are abandoned as well. I mean, if I said we're going to turn our mm -hmm. swords into plowshares, you'd think, well, that's a very nice sentiment, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't. It, it, it is ambiguous. But because of his association with people who very clearly did want to dismantle the secular Turkish state, like former Prime Minister Erdogan, who was a complete nut job, a complete is Islamist lunatic. First thing he did upon coming to power was go and visit Iran and and talk about how wonderful the revolution there was and how much he wanted to do something similar in Turkey, and the military got rid of him. So everyone was looking at Erdogan with great suspicion, and the first excuse, they, they, they put him in prison, just to say, look, cool your jets. So we do not want to hear this kind of thing from you. If you want any kind of future in Turkey, enough of this. And he seems to have taken that lesson very much to heart. We have not heard him say anything like that since, and in fact, we've heard him say, diametrically different things. Like, for example, when he was, after the, after the recent election, he gave an extremely conciliatory speech saying that he is completely committed to secularism and he wants all Turks to know whether or not they voted for him, that he represents all of them, whatever their lifestyle, whatever their beliefs. So two ways of interpreting this. One is that he has genuinely moved to the center, that he has genuinely taken a look at Islamist government around the world and decided, you know, this is a recipe for immiseration. We do not want to be bringing the Taliban to Turkey. We do not want to be bringing the Iranian revolution to Turkey. We want Turkey to be a modern, wealthy state where Islam is part of the culture but is not the political religion. Or he's decided we have to do this more subtly. We're going to look very moderate. We're going to get our hands on power. Then we're going to put all our judicial appointments in place. We're going to reduce the role of the military. And then we're going to impose our Islamist state. A lot of people worry about this, and I don't think they're crazy to think this. So far, five years in power, it hasn't happened. If I were a Turk, would I be totally reassured? No. As someone living here, am I totally reassured? No. But am I concerned enough that I think there should be a military coup to get rid of this guy? No. No, I'm not. He was democratically elected. So far, he has done nothing in power that I think makes it more important to get rid of him than to have a democracy in Turkey. Now, one of the reasons Turkey is important to the United States is 
because of Russia, and of course there's been increased tensions with Russia, and uh, President Putin's been more assertive. Now, Turkey has had some meetings with uh, with the Russians, and there's been a, you could say, uh, an unprecedented closeness or talking between Russia and Turkey in recent years with this new government. Um, can you tell us anything about that or how the Turks feel about Russia now and, and Putin? You know, that's an interesting question. It's not actually one that I've asked very many Turks. How do you feel about Russia? I mean, the Turks were staunch Cold War allies, absolutely pivotal in NATO. Many countries in the Islamic world feared the Soviet Union because of the Soviet Union's atheist and expansionist ideology. Now the Soviet Union is not in existence anymore. Now that we're just talking Russia, your traditional great power, I think you could expect that Turkey would have an interest in having better relations with Russia. It makes total sense from a, an economic, strategic point of view. Um, at the personal level, I think probably a lot of Turks especially there are a lot of Russian women who come to Turkey and seem to get along very well with Turkish men. So I think personally most Turks probably have a favorable feeling about Russians. And I don't necessarily think that what we're seeing is the beginning of some kind of um, attempt by Putin to detach Turkey from the Western axis and, and make it a, a Russian ally. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you really what your average Turk thinks about Russia as a, as a power, except probably that it's, they have favorable, generally favorable feelings toward Russians personally, just as they have, they tend to have generally favorable feelings toward Americans personally. And of course, there is a, another war, a minor conflict going on in the Caucasus uh, with Chechnya. And of course, there's been a some... Minor, minor, another understatement. Yeah, another understatement. And of course, Georgia had a new government come in a few years ago. And uh, Georgia's been wanting to join NATO, wanting to become more integrated in the West. And a lot of people see Georgia as a possible uh, target of Russian policy now. Is there anything you pick up? I mean, is it just, is it just something that, uh, that just isn't significant enough to register uh, what's going on there? Well, one thing I will say, I mean, you say NATO, but I think the, the more emotional issue here is the EU. The EU has been remarkably willing to speed the admissions process for a number of former Warsaw Pact countries. And Turkey has been knocking on the EU door very insistently for quite some time. And the Turks feel extremely humiliated, extremely rebuffed, especially now that Sarkozy has, has come to power and is basically saying, forget it. This has been seen as a humiliation, and a lot of people are saying, well, if this is the way they're going to treat us, if they're going to let countries that are nowhere near as important economically as we are, have nowhere near the grandeur of our historic tradition become part of Europe, but they're going to tell us you can't be Europeans, well, to hell with them. And that, that could certainly be a factor in pushing Turkey toward alliances with countries that are not as sympathetic to the central powers of the EU's interests, like France. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you. I don't know if you heard about the new the new euro coin. There's a new euro coin. The new euro coin has a map of Europe that has Turkey erased. Oh. I don't know how this happened because the facts of the map are not something you can really argue about. Turkey's there, and, and it's not on the coin. And of course, the Turks have looked at this and they said, "This is just unbelievably insulting." I mean, this is ridiculous. It's one thing to say you don't want us to be part of the EU, but to announce it like this. That said. I'm not a Turk, and I also have an enormous amount of sympathy with Europeans who say the idea of integrating Turkey into Europe is nonsensical, it's ludicrous. The EU has already 
massively overstretched. The difficulty of integrating all these developing countries into the EU, and on top of that, people forget that the former East and West Germany are still being integrated at massive cost. And Europe is not this incredibly stable entity that can afford to just keep expanding and expanding and expanding. It's under huge internal strain. The idea of bringing Turkey in from a French point of view is crazy. So you have to look at it from that point of view, too. With me is Claire Berlinski. She's on the line from Turkey. We're discussing the politics of Turkey, which is pivotal both in Europe and the Middle East. Uh, We'll be back with the Jeff Nyquist program after these messages. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. WIBG Proactive Local News. When you have to know. You have to know. You've come to the station that gives you local and regional news all the time. 1020 WIBG Proactive Local News. All around Atlantic City as you look at our landscape, you see signs of investment in Atlantic City. South Jersey, Philadelphia area's only Christian station with proactive local news. It's local and regional news when you need it. 1020 WIBG Proactive Local News. Some of our beaches in the northern end have been eaten away. Right now, Rick. South Jersey. Philadelphia area's only Christian station with proactive local news. 1020 WIBG. We've got you covered. And now once again, here's your host of the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. Okay, we're back uh, with the Jeff Nyquist program and my guest on the line from Turkey, Claire Belinsky. She's the author of Medicine Europe, and we're talking about the pivotal role of the country of Turkey, a NATO member, very important in Europe and the Middle East as well. And uh, Claire uh, we've discussed uh, uh, Turkey's wanting to get into the European Union, and uh, we know that uh, Turkey's had trouble in the past getting along with Greece. There are historical reasons for that. How is that relationship going on, Greece and Turkey, and the issue over Cyprus? Um, not well, not well, and there have been some big setbacks. Well, I wouldn't even call them setbacks because there was never any progress. Um, the The issues are incredibly difficult to resolve. They're not going to be resolved, I don't think, anytime soon. The personal enmity, it's, it's really very strong. A couple of months ago, there was a big um, Turkey-Greece football match, and I didn't realize it was on, but I was just sitting at my desk quietly, and all of a sudden, the entire city just erupts, just erupts, and I'm thinking, oh my God, what's going on out there? You know, did a bomb go off or something? Turkey had scored a, a goal. <laughs> I, I, I had never heard anything like this before. The personal feelings are really, really strong. There's tons of stuff that even beyond Cyprus that is going to have to be worked out before this relationship can be normalized. For example, there's still tons of outstanding property disputes from when Greeks were forcibly evicted from their homes. You go through Istanbul and you'll see a lot of these old buildings, gorgeous prime real estate locations, and they're abandoned and shuttered up, and you wonder, well, why hasn't someone renovated that? And then you realize it's because it's still subject to these property disputes, because it's being, it's being claimed as Greek property, and people want compensation for it. So um, lots and lots of these things do get resolved over time, but don't look for it happening next month. An intractable kind of situation. And- it's, it's one of the more difficult ones. It really is. Um, and Turks have been told, if you want to become part of the EU, you've got, to, you've got to move forward on this. And one of the reasons, again, for this hostility toward the EU is the Turks feel that they are being treated unjustly, they've tried to move forward, but still haven't been admitted to the EU. A lot of very complicated feelings about that. Now, you said something very interesting earlier, and I want to go back to that. You, you talked about uh, the sort of economic miracle in Turkey. Mm. Did I hear you right? You said that they're 
gross national product had increased it what per capita per, per capita, capita. GMP, yes. it had doubled doubled gone from $2,500 the equivalent of $2,500 a year to 5000 a year and that is a huge transition every time you step out the door you see another business that wasn't there the day before you see new stores everywhere you see new wealth everywhere there's a big street called Istiklal Jadassi. It's the biggest boulevard in Istanbul. When I first got here, there were no Starbucks, and now there are four Starbucks. So you're seeing tons of foreign direct investment and all the foreign influences that, that brings along with it, all the contacts with foreigners that brings along with it, all the cultural influences that come with that. And you're also seeing the rise of a class of people who can afford to spend $5 on a cup of coffee, which just didn't exist 10 years ago. And importantly... What you're seeing is the rise of a Muslim middle class. Now, everyone in Turkey is a Muslim. It's 99% self-identified Muslim. But you're seeing the rise of a pious Muslim middle class. Not talking extremist, not talking fundamentalist, but I'm talking observant, which is to say people who come from regions that previously were just considered peasant regions, backward regions, who have suddenly started making money and who are now exerting political power. Very interesting to see. Now, the the youth must be tremendously affected by this uh, because young people seeing these foreign influences perhaps being exposed to to Western ideas or television. Uh, is there a, a change in the youth that's noticeable? Well, don't forget that Turkey is mostly youth. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, the demographics of Turkey are really, really different from European demographics. If you walk down the streets in Paris or Rome, you see very few children. And here you see... Tons of kids, tons of teenagers. Are they influenced by this? Well, of course they're influenced by this. Uh, of course it's life-changing for, for many, many people. The question is, what influence does it have? It certainly has created a lot of enthusiasm for the AKP. The AKP drew a huge amount of support from these people because all of a sudden they had economic opportunities they'd never had before. Hmm. But there's also the backlash of people who say that this is not the Turkey we grew up in. This is not secular Turkey. This is not nationalist Turkey. These people want to make us backwards and fundamentalist, and they want to make us more like Arabs. You know, there's a huge amount of Turkish ethnic nationalist sentiment you hear all the time. Turks aren't Arabs. We don't want to be like Arabs. Um, you see both enthusiasm for this kind of transformation and fear of it, which is, I guess, predictable. And, of course, the conspiracy theories appeal is to those that would like Turkey to remain strong and independent and not to give way to these influences. Exactly, exactly. It's just designed to appeal to the mind of a conspiracy theorist that you have all this foreign money coming in. It says foreign money, it must be a plot to control Turkey. It's probably all coming from the Jews one way or the other, even though in fact it's not. I think the amount of Israeli investment in Turkey is probably quite small. There's a lot of money, however, coming from the Saudis, which is something which is definitely worth wondering about and thinking about because anytime you get large amounts of Saudi money coming in anywhere, you end up with political transformations which have not been very desirable. Yes. It's rapidly changing, fascinating to watch. I mean, it's just incredibly interesting time to be here. And the jury is still out on what it all means. Now, it's another interesting sensitive point. We've got the conflict, of course, between Israel and the Arabs. And Turkey, at certain times, has been allied with Israel or had uh, mm -hmm. uh, security agreements with Israel. And um, we've got this crisis in Lebanon, this problem in Lebanon, where you've yeah. got Hezbollah and the rockets firing into Israel, and you've got Syria trying to set up 
uh, Scud missiles. Uh, there's been talk, you know, about this uh, Israeli raid against uh, the supposed Syrian nuclear uh, enclave. Uh, Syria trying to put chemical weapons in, in the warheads of some of these rockets that were moved closer to Israel. And of course, uh, talk from the Turkish government that they're expecting, they were last summer expecting a war, now saying maybe there'll be a war in November. Um, and the involvement of Iran with Iran building nuclear weapons, North Korean advise, you know, nuclear experts being found in Syria. How in Turkey would they see this, all of these things? Anyone who tells you that they have any idea what happened recently in Syria is lying, because anyone who knows isn't telling. I don't know what happened. I'm reading the same news reports you are. I'm hearing the same rumors you are. Mm -hmm. um, this one is, is, is going to be a mystery for quite some time. One rumor I've heard, I stress, rumor, 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 but who knows? Maybe the rumor itself is interesting because it tells you what people are thinking, is that it was Turkey that supplied the intelligence and that the Israelis flew over Turkish airspace with Turkish permission because it was a dry run to see whether they could do that kind of mission, aerial mission, over that kind of distance. I've heard this rumor. Is it true? I don't know. But the fact that the rumor is circulating is interesting. Yeah. And it suggests that people do believe that it's possible that there's that kind of cooperation between Turkey and Israel. That is fascinating. And of course, uh, it has been reported, and I, I think it's probably true, that the Syrians have the densest anti-aircraft defenses ever put together in the history of the world. You think? Well, the numbers of anti-aircraft defenses per square mile and the types of them. So people kind of wondered, could the Israeli Air Force even penetrate this? You could see how this rumor about them going through Turkish airspace could get started, because how on earth did the Israelis get through? Yeah, and you know what? We're just going into the realm of total speculation yeah. here because anyone who knows what really happened there is just not going to be talking <laughs> yeah they, they they're not going to be talking they're not going to and talking. and of course there is talk about the russians putting a, a naval base in the eastern mediterranean and i don't know if if the turks have had anything to say about that russian naval presence in the mediterranean once again one thing to keep in mind is there's a reason when we talk when we use the word byzantine to describe politics byzantine empire that's turkey the Byzantine Empire was, was what was before the Ottoman Empire. So when we talk about Byzantine politics, that still describes a lot of what's going on here. A lot of elaborate intrigues and diplomatic moves that may not mean what they seem to mean, that may be signaled in ways that we are just not able to interpret right now. And I'm, if I sound like I'm turning into a conspiracy theorist myself, maybe that's the Turkish influence on me. But... If the Turks are saying, well, we might be open to this, we might not be hostile to it, it may be their way of signaling to the United States, we want you to pull a little harder on our behalf, mm -hmm. or else. It may not mean that they, in fact, really want this. Yeah, that's true. Asiatic politics and, and Middle East politics are very different from Western politics, and sometimes when people say yes, they mean no, and it's, uh, it's very, uh, very convoluted. Now, um, about Iran, this has come up before, and I think when we when we had you on the program before, things in my mind seemed like it was just not politically possible for the Bush administration to launch a strike against Iran. But it's, it is interesting with the Iranian nuclear uh, program moving forward, there's been some statements from the French and from the Americans that, that seems to be losing patience with Iran. Um, the negotiating process doesn't seem to be getting anywhere. Uh, how do they in Turkey view the Iranian nuclear ambition, 
And of course, how how do you see it? I mean, is is Europe playing this this right? Are, is there going to be a strike in Iran? Is that where we're headed? Well, I don't know. I'll just call the president and ask. <laughs> I am so far from being able to answer that question. Anyone who could answer that question is just not going to be calling Claire Berlusky to talk. Um, just, just slightly diverting the subject for a second. It takes a lot to shock me when it comes to American academia. But I was shocked, absolutely shocked. Um, well, first, that they invited Ahmadinejad to speak at Columbia, and second, by the statement of, oh, we would have invited Hitler, too. It takes a lot to shock me, but that shocked me. So now that I've got that out of my system, back to the question you asked. Yes. I do think that the signaling we're getting from France is incredibly interesting and significant. I mean, this, this shows what a total sea change we've seen with the election of Sarkozy. I think it shows that the French have wised up and realized, yes, a nuclear Iran is a threat above all. When we talk about intermediate-range nuclear weapons, we're not talking about Seattle being under threat. We're talking about Europe being under threat. Mm-hmm. In the run-up to the Iraq War, it always seemed to me very odd that the European countries who were also getting intelligence reports of an Iraqi nuclear weapons program were concerned about the fact that they would be the likely targets rather than the United States. With Iran... I think we pretty unambiguously do know that there's an Iranian nuclear program and that it's almost certainly not entirely for... I mean, Iran's sitting on a lot of oil. They don't need it for energy, right? Right, so, right. Um, do I know for a fact that we could pull off a modern version of the Assyric strike? I have no idea. I mean, militarily, this is beyond my, my level of expertise. If I were advising the president, I'd say, don't do it, because... There would be political fallout in Europe in the Islamic world, wouldn't there? Or am I mistaken in that? That that bombing Iran could be a very serious diplomatic problem. It would be a diplomatic disaster, no question about it. There would be hell to pay, literally. But the question is, which is worse? The certainty that there would be absolute outrage, massive civilian casualties. I mean, I think there's a real moral problem there mm-hmm. against the possibility of, of Iran having a nuclear weapon and what that really means. I mean, the idea of a nuclear weapon in the hands of someone who has said um, that he wants to repeat the Holocaust, which he denied happened in the first place, but he wants to repeat it anyway, is, is obviously a really terrifying prospect. Yes. You know, these, these are Solomonic questions. They are unbelievably difficult. I, I am so glad I don't have to make these decisions because I, I don't know how I would. Um, and I don't have access to the intelligence that the people who are making these decisions have. And I don't have anything like the kind of military knowledge to know whether it could be pulled off. But certainly this is a, a really, really serious situation. And one thing that I think we can be really grateful for is that at least the French seem to be recognizing the gravity of the situation. Because the one thing that I think is helpful is to have the French saying very seriously, this is on the table and we mean it. Because that has, it has a weight coming from France. Because we all know the French don't say things like that unless they really mean it. Yes. With me is Claire Berlinski on the line from Turkey, and we're discussing the the politics of the Middle East and Turkey and, and uh, the questions of Turkey's neighbors. Uh, We'll be back with the Jeff Nyquist program after these messages. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. 
plugging you into life. We are Live Radio 1020 WIBG. Whether it's Hurley in the morning, Henning in the afternoon, Dr. Jim Dobson in Focus on the Family. South Jersey's fastest growing Christian news talk. Now with more than a million listeners and hits at WIBG 1020. WIBG. 1020 WIBG. Or at WIBG.com. Plugging you into life. And now, once again, here's your host of the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. Now we're back, and with me on the line from Turkey is Claire Berlinski. She's the author of Medicine Europe. She's been living in Istanbul, Turkey, for the last few years. And uh, to get a sense uh, of these things, we were just discussing about an American strike on Iran's nuclear program and um, my sense that there would be a diplomatic catastrophe if that happened. And, and maybe, Claire, you could explain for Americans the subtleties of this diplomatic catastrophe. Why would it be a diplomatic catastrophe? First of all, I mean, we're not just talking about bombing one site in Iran. I mean, if, 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 if it were to happen, the suspected nuclear weapons sites are distributed throughout Iran, buried underground. It would have to be a really blunt massive bombing campaign. There would be a tremendous number of civilian casualties. Um, I mean, it, it would be a horrible, horrible thing with a lot of lives lost. And it would look like an extraordinary act of spontaneous aggression. I mean, just, just imagine the photographs coming out, and the, you know, American bombs obliterating. Um, I mean, without doubt, the Iranians have been shrewd enough to place these weapons facilities underneath a lot of nursery schools and hospitals, you know, because this is, this is now standard operating procedure. Make sure that civilian casualties look as, are and look as bad as they possibly can. Um, if you thought that we were hated around the world because of what's gone, what's gone on in Iraq, I think it would just be, it would look like, it would look like a picnic compared to what would happen in Iran. I don't think anyone should, should underestimate this. The counter argument really has to be and this is the one that really needs to be taken seriously, that we are talking about nuclear weapons here, Shiva, destroyer of worlds. And I think people, perhaps, because it's been so many years since Hiroshima and Nagasaki, have forgotten just what we mean by a nuclear weapon and why the idea of a nuclear weapon in the hands of what is genuinely a rogue state is so terrifying. Iran is not Sweden, and we can't pretend that it is. The, the, the president of Iran has come out and said that Israel needs to be wiped off the map and soon. It's come out and said that, that America needs to be destroyed. He has come out and said that. He has denied the Holocaust. Um, he's, he's, he's insane. And then the Iranian Revolutionary Guards, Congress isn't wrong to, to be calling them terrorist organization. Terrorist acts around the world, from Argentina to Germany, have been committed by Iranian intelligence agents. This is not a matter of Maybe we could live with this. You know, maybe it would be like like living with the analogy that's always brought up is well, we live we live with the Soviet Union with nuclear weapons for a very long time. I think the level of insanity exceeds that of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. It, it does because, frankly, the Soviets were atheists, <laughs> and they they understood full well that in an all-out nuclear exchange, that would be the end of it. And I don't think that Ahmadinejad believes that. And yes. I think that's a very, very important difference. It is a very important difference. When a person has an apocalyptic or religious context that they place modern current events in, mm-hmm. uh, it can be very different. And, and if you have a, a, a narcissistic, severe narcissistic personality, 
uh, in charge of a country who has these beliefs, someone like a Hitler, someone who is willing to bend reality to mm -hmm. uh, see the world the way they want to see it, which uh, clearly Ahmadinejad does. Um, and to have a person like that with nuclear weapons who actually talks about nuclear weapons as if they can be used, very dangerous business. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. And it's, it's so terrifying that I, I actually prefer not to think about it. Yes. Because there are no good options. There are no good options. And, and now I'd like to return again uh, to Iraq and discuss. It was a very interesting comment you made on the program last time that you had been in, in favor of the Iraq invasion before. And uh, i just explain the way I thought about it beforehand. Mm -hmm. I was very hesitant, and I don't like to say anything against the president. And so I wrote a column about how Mesopotamia has always been difficult to tame in history, and it's been a difficult and problematic place, how many troops the British lost coming into there uh, in, in, the, in the first place when the British went in, and um, how... Uh, how difficult the area has been to govern. But when I saw the anti-war movement, when I saw the communists and the anti-Semites, uh, people from the far conspiratorial right and left getting together, I, when I saw that ugly crew howling against George Bush, I could not be against the war. I could not throw myself in with those people, although I didn't like it. And I thought that however evil Saddam was, in a way, having him, this is very cynical, having him in Iraq made us very important to all the surrounding countries because suddenly we were the guarantee that they were going to be safe from him. And now that he's gone, they've all lost that and they have all a reason to dislike what we've done and perhaps to dislike us. And now, though we're stuck, you know, we've broken it and now we have to fix it. And I was just wondering... Since you were one of those people like myself who supported the president initially and, and now see this disaster unfolding in Iraq, do you think it's getting any better? Do you think that as our general has claimed that we're actually starting to win in Iraq? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not there. And one of the things that um, being here in Turkey has really taught me is that what you read in the news is often so different from what's going on day to day, what the daily experience of being in a place really is. I think that maybe I should get out of the prediction about Iraq business because I think I don't have a very good track record on this one. I mean, the fact is that I, I didn't realize that we were going to, to end up where we are. So maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't be doing any more prognosticating on that point. Um, one thing you said really resonated with me, which is that so many people who I consider to be to have historically been so wrong about so many things and to be so wrong about so many things were so vocally opposed to the Iraq war probably affected my judgment, my emotional judgment, in the sense of anything they believed I was bound and determined to disagree with. I'm not saying that as, as a way of trying to excuse my bad judgment. Of course, that's not a good enough excuse. But I just, I just felt when you said that, I thought, yes, I really know what you're talking about. And to an extent, I can feel emotionally that my judgment is still colored very much by what I hope is true, but what I want to be true. Of course, I want to believe that we're making progress in Iraq. Of course, I want to believe the sacrifice and the bloodshed and the horror will, will end up having been in some way worth it to someone. Um, I mean, it, that, that we haven't just committed a catastrophic, irrecoverable blunder. But wanting something to be true is not the same as having a really good reason to believe it's true. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm not in Iraq. I have heard 
you know, I, I'm in touch with many, many people who are in Iraq, journalists and people in the military, and no two stories are exactly alike. I'm sure you have yes. the same you have the same experience that you speak to some people and they say this area has become so much better than it was just six months ago. We're really turning things around and you speak to other people who will tell you, well, you know, that area is fine for now, but the second the second we turn around it's gonna be they're gonna be back at each other's throats. I don't know. I don't know. I don't live there and I don't think that I can really give you first hand a first hand insight into it. I don't wanna just pontificate because I have an audience. I'm, I'm not that, that's honest, and uh, you know, all of us are in that position. In, in that, when we make a decision about something, when we decide to support or not, or to vote or not vote, um, we're left with this position. We don't know what our leaders are going to do. We hope that they're competent, but we don't know how it's going to turn out. Of course, being stuck there now, um, you're in Turkey. They want us to stabilize it. What you said before was very interesting. The Turks, obviously, would not want us to leave, just pull out and go. I don't think anyone really wants us to just pull out and leave. Um, I mean, except for Al-Qaeda. I think there is a general recognition among everyone but people who are living in total fantasy world that if we just pull out and leave now, there's going to be a, an unparalleled bloodbath, and that, and that blood will be on our hands. Um, there's moral responsibility to remove, and there's immediate moral responsibility. It's not as if we are going to go in there and commit genocide. But certainly, if we pull out and leave now, we will have an indirect moral responsibility for what follows. And that's a very serious indirect moral responsibility. My question is, when, when people say, all right, we have to stay and stabilize it, my question is, okay, how? And again, I'm not saying this is a rhetorical question because I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. I don't know how many troops would be required. I don't know what would be required politically. I don't know what would be required in terms of timetables. Yes. I don't know the answer. Um, no one living anywhere near Iraq wants no one who doesn't actually want to see that bloodbath for their for their insane political reasons wants an immediate American to pull out, an immediate total American pull out. Well, that, that's, that's a very important statement. I think Americans need to hear that um, just for, for the common sense because there is such a, a real cry in this country from many quarters to pu just pull out, get out as soon as possible. And uh, that's just not a, a realistic uh, position. Uh, Claire, do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? Um, um, closing thoughts? Well, I think that what I would want to tell people that I don't think that they understand about Turkey is um, there's something very important going on here to which Americans should really be paying attention. Because what I think we're seeing, I say this guardedly, but what I think we're seeing is the rise of a moderate Muslim middle class that we can do business with. And I don't think there's a tendency among a lot of American pundits to conflate Turkey and to conflate the AKP with radical Islamist movements, which I think may be a mistake. Now, you might, I, I'm using a lot of careful language here, but mm -hmm. I hope and see a lot of evidence for the possibility that Turkey is becoming the one Muslim nation in the world that is really moving toward greater liberalism, greater human rights, um, greater economic freedom, greater tolerance rather than less. And I think that this should be absolutely encouraged. So that would, that would be the closing thought that I would leave people with, along with all the caveats I've also mentioned, along with all the reasons that I say that this is not absolutely guaranteed and we need to be keeping a close eye on the situation. 
Well, that is a very valuable insight, and certainly you're right. The reports we've seen in this country uh, tend to leave us with the impression that the the Turkish government is moving more toward the Islamists, and and uh, for you to say that is very important. And if Turkey is uh, going to be a middle class Islamic beacon of liberalism, this would be a very significant uh, event in in terms of of hope for the world. And so far, so good from my point of view. Um, a lot of reasons to be cautious, but so far, much better than what I expected. Well, thank you, Claire, for being on the show and talking about this subject. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me, and it was really interesting questions. Well, Claire, thanks. It's been so nice to talk to you again. And uh... You're so welcome. It's really been a pleasure. Okay, thanks, Claire. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show with your host, Jeff Nyquist. WIBG Proactive Local News. When you have to know. You have to know. You've come to the station that gives you local and regional news all the time. 1020 WIBG Proactive Local News. All around Atlantic City as you look at our landscape, you see signs of investment in Atlantic City. South Jersey, Philadelphia area's only Christian station with proactive local news. It's local and regional news when you need it. 1020 WIBG Proactive Local News. Some of our beaches in the northern end have been eaten away. Right now, Rick. South Jersey. Philadelphia area's only Christian station with proactive local news. 1020 WIBG. We've got you covered. Covered. And now once again, here's your host of the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. Turkey, a very important country. There it is, situated between the Middle East and Europe. Sits at the southern border of Russia. Important to all the major players. A NATO member, an Islamic country with a secular state, and a growing middle class. A country that is very important in this region is a country of about 60, 65 million people with a Kurdish minority of about 12 million. Turkey is growing in power and Turkey is growing in wealth. It is important for America that Turkey succeed. It's important for America in the Middle East and it's important for America in its relations with Europe and Russia. It is critical that Turkey remain an ally of the United States. It is critical that the United States remain sensitive to the needs of Turkey. At the same time, the United States somehow must keep its position open in the Middle East and be able to pacify as many players as possible. How this is going to happen, I don't know. And uh, I have been very pleased to have our guest, Claire Belinsky, with us to discuss the situation in this most vital country, Turkey. Let us hope that Turkey will remain America's friend. I am Jeff Nyquist. Next week, my guest will be Ryan Morrow. We're going to discuss further issues in the Middle East and the war in Iraq. Until then, be well. From the Jeff Nyquist studios on California's North Coast and from our flagship broadcast facilities at WIBG 1020, Atlantic City, suburban Philadelphia's number one news talk station, You've been listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. We invite you to join us again next week at the same time. In the meantime, please visit Jeff's website at jrnyquist.com. Again, that's jrnyquist.com. Thank you for listening.